You're listening to audio from Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you'd like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. You want to read with me? Uh, look at your word. It'll be on the screen as well. Um, but in Luke 24, verse 36. Verse 36, and again, this is right after the road to Emmaus. Those two people were walking and they've been running back to Jerusalem to tell everybody that Jesus appeared before them and that he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Like Jesus was there. What? This is amazing. He was alive and then he vanished before their eyes. In verse 36 it says, and they were talking about these things. So as they were talking about them, like literally they're in mid-conversation about this amazing experience they've had with Jesus. They're talking about this with the disciples. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, I just love that confirmation, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. And in John's account, if you look in the Gospel of John, if you look in his account of this story, it actually said the doors were locked and they were closed, and they were all huddled in in fear, and then boom, Jesus is standing in their midst. So verse 37, but they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. Some of your translations might even say ghost. Uh, The word in the Greek is pneuma, like a pneuma, the spirit, this wind almost. Uh, And so they thought they saw a spirit, like this can't be. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit or a pneuma, a ghost, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy, for they were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Sounds like some of your households, right? (laughs) Nobody comes over for just hanging out. (laughs) You got food around? Have you anything to eat? Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened the scriptures, uh, sorry, then he opened their minds, I love that phrase, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written uh, uh, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Is that not what we just celebrated up here in a moment as we prayed with Tandy? as we think about what they're doing in Nicaragua, that Jesus' name and the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in all nations, it says. All nations, beginning here from Jerusalem, or as we would say for our local church, our little Jerusalem is Jaffrey and Monadnock region in New Hampshire. So in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Eyewitnesses, you would say. Verse 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that's Acts chapter one that you read about that event, one and two. And then verse 50, you would, in a sense, you could say he almost skips ahead several days. 
Um, and you kind of skip ahead to the ascension. And in Acts chapter one, you read a little bit fuller account of this. It says in verse 15, he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And, he, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What has our series been on? This whole journey through Luke has been talking about this verse from Luke 2, very well-known verse, and the angels, we sing it around Christmas time, that we're proclaiming a message of, of great news, of good news, right? It's good news. It's the gospel of great joy for all people. How does Luke end the gospel here? He ends his account with this message that Jesus gives him to proclaim the gospel, the good news, to all nations. And then he ends with the disciples praising God. It says they return to Jerusalem with great joy. Great joy. They're happy and praising God for what he has done. We are spreading this message of good news of great joy for all people. Because Jesus, as it says in Luke 19, has come to seek and to save the lost. This is the message of Luke. This is what we're talking about. And this is what is encapsulated in the final passage in Luke chapter 24. The closing, which is really just part one of Luke's gospel message here because he does part two, which is the book of Acts. Luke, if you're not aware, Luke wrote the book of Luke and Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So Luke is the, the gospel or the good news of Jesus and, and, and then we see the book of Acts is really the working and the power of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, proclaiming that and founding the church. So we see these two working together here in Luke and Acts. But as we have looked over the last couple of weeks specifically walking through from the cross to the, to the grave, to the empty tomb and now to the appearances of Jesus and really since Easter, if you were here with us on Easter a few weeks ago, uh, we've been exploring this account and really exploring the concept of the resurrection as it's kind of the major driving theme here. Jesus has risen from the grave and so we should really consider and think about what the resurrection means, the true meaning of Easter. The meaning of the resurrection. What are the implications of the resurrection for you and for me today? Like it's nice that you came to church here today. I, I value you coming, but why is it that we're here and why is it that we gather on Sunday morning? What are we doing? And so as, he, as we're examining this concept of the importance of Easter Sunday or really every Sunday morning, the reason we gather is because of the resurrection we examine on Easter Sunday the surprise of the resurrection, of how surprising it, it was. It, it was this uh, it, a sudden thing, and it, and it was so surprising because it overturned the most reliable thing known to mankind, life and death. But then suddenly, death isn't the end, and, and this is surprising, this is a big deal. Suddenly, Easter Sunday, Sunday morning, gives us hope for a future because Jesus died, yes, we too will die, but when we die with Christ, because Jesus then rises from the dead, we too who believe will also rise from the dead. And so last week, Sunday afternoon, we looked at the road to Emmaus. After Jesus rises from the dead, uh, the, the women visit the tomb. They, they see an empty tomb. Uh, Peter runs to the tomb. He sees the empty tomb. And then there's two disciples, as it says, two men, possibly a husband and wife, are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they are examining uh, and talking together of, how, uh, of Jesus' resurrection. They're talking about it. And this core 
that we talked about last week, this faith, this, this, this heart belief that we all must have, I think was worked out through the story of the road to Emmaus as we almost put ourselves within that story as we're walking alongside Jesus on the road to Emmaus asking him questions, speaking to the risen Lord and the doubts and questions and maybe the misunderstandings that we have in our own heart are answered by the person of Jesus as we get to know him as our eyes as it says in that passage last week as, it, as Jesus opened their eyes as well. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He helps interpret the scriptures for them, all things in the Old Testament concerning himself. And so we, at least myself, I felt I was finding myself in that same journey as all of you are on that journey of faith in your heart. Some are further along the road or different places along the road, but we're on the road of the journey of faith as we're walking with Jesus and trying to understand what this all means for us. And so this week, we we start to recognize what this really means for us this Sunday evening as we see Jesus appearing in the evening to these disciples in most likely the upper room. He's manifesting himself physically before them and verifying their doubts, uh, meaning verifying the answers to their doubts. They are afraid. They're not sure what this all means. They're trying to interpret this empty tomb story that they've just experienced. They're not, possible, they're not positive as to what that means yet. And so he comes to them physically, verifying this message, this future hope of life and death, but also then commissions them with a mission that now they too are to go out from this place. You have seen me alive. You are witnesses of this. Now you go, for you will spread this message of the risen Savior, the risen Lord, who has conquered death, who has conquered sin for all mankind. You spread that mission to all nations. But start here in Jerusalem, so don't leave. Stay here in Jerusalem because I'm gonna give you and I'm gonna equip you with something even better than myself. I'm gonna leave and it's better that I leave because I'm gonna equip you and clothe you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is this implications that we're discussing today, this concept that we're looking at. The main points I'm thinking about in my head is just the reality of this physical manifestation of Jesus and the tangibility of the resurrection, the reality of the physical and the spiritual. Sometimes we like to separate the two. The physical is not important and the spiritual is all that we ascend to. And we create this faith that isn't, I believe, what the Bible presents to us as a uniting of both physical and spiritual as both being valued by God and being one of the main points that Jesus came. He came to save us from our spiritual sin but also came to redeem all creation and the physical as well. And so the resurrection tells us about this aspect that when Jesus appears, he comes uh, visibly and he is the forerunner of this resurrection uh, for our behalf as well. The resurrection is this first fruits. He's the forerunner. He's the beginning of the end game, if you would. And he will return and one day. And when he does, he's gonna transform all creation and make it new. Until then, we live in this waiting period, the already but not yet kingdom of God. We have a job to do right now. That's why we're not home with him right now. We have a job and a purpose and a mission and a reason for being here to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. And so we're not doing this on our own, we're not doing this by yourself, for you're within a body of people supporting each other in this mission. But more importantly, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, empowering you, equipping you, illuminating your understanding to the scriptures and the person and the character of God so that you can learn and grow and share it in your places of influence. And that's our mission, that's what we're here to do, and that's what Jesus does is he commissions them at the end here. So the resurrection is so important. 
The bodily resurrection is so important. N.T. Wright says this, he says, people often think that resurrection simply means life after death or just going to heaven. But in a Jewish world of the first century, it meant a new embodied life. In God's new world, a life after life after death. A true life on this new earth, on the new heavens and the new earth, this life that we experience, not necessarily this floating in the clouds kind of existence. And so this is what we're gonna be exploring briefly today. Uh, the first point in, in your notes, some of you have a bulletin there in there. Uh, you can kind of follow along if, you, if you'd like, but we're gonna just explore this kind of concept that I introduced to you so far. The first point is this manifestation of the resurrection. Uh, manifestation, a big complicated word to just manifest it visible, you could say. The visibleness of the resurrection. The visible aspect of it is so important that Jesus literally materializes before them. And that's what I was saying when I was reading this story to my girls. Um, Charlie just found it fascinating with this idea that Jesus just appears into the room and they think he's a ghost. Is Jesus a ghost? Jesus is not a ghost. He confirms to them, I'm not a ghost. And he becomes, and this is a very important interaction as he goes back and forth. But no wonder they are startled. They're frightened. Uh, the CSB says that they're terrified and they thought they were seeing a ghost. Like anuma, a spirit, this word that almost means wind as well. Uh, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, you get this word, uh, uh, in the Hebrew it's ruach. It's this word of, uh, of wind, uh, of spirit. You know, Jesus says in John 3 that we don't know where the spirit may go. It's like the wind, it goes forth one way or the other, right? This ruach, which also means this breath, the breathes the breath of life, this wind of the spirit. And so he's saying, is this just what I am? Am I just this ghost? And he says, I'm not a ghost. And so the timeline as we walk through this road to Emmaus, Jesus walks with these two during the afternoon. He breaks bread with them in the evening and then he vanishes. They run back to Jerusalem and start telling everybody about what they've seen. And as they're saying and talking about these very things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, these, said peace to you. And, and so he, they vanishes uh, like a ghost there and then he appears here. And so it's a really supernatural, amazingly powerful story. And, and so as they're talking about these things, I, I do find, and maybe it's just me, I, while I'm reading it, I sometimes find Jesus and what he says to be somewhat humorous. I think humor is a good thing. And so I think as you're reading, I, I do find it a little funny in verse 37 because it's kind of fantastical, right? The, the, he appears right before him and then the, the Bible says they're startled and afraid, just like any you or me would be, right? And then he asks them, why are you afraid? You know, why are you troubled? You know, and I almost kind of like, we have to pause for a moment. We know the whole story. We know the end. Maybe some of you have read this before. You're well acquainted with the stories of Jesus and his appearances. And so imagine putting yourself, and that's what you kind of do, put yourself in their shoes. What was it like for them? What have they just experienced? I mean, it's been a few emotional days, has it not for them? I mean, since Thursday, things in their world have been literally flipped upside down. They went from Sunday following Jesus riding on a donkey, everybody yelling Hosanna and praising supposedly this king that was gonna come in and overthrow the Romans. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, this king is dying, being crucified on a cross by the Romans. And they're thinking, I'm the closest follower of Jesus, I'm next. Like they're gonna get me and put me on a cross too. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. 
And they're thinking, this is emotional time, so I think we gotta be a little patient with these guys. Sometimes we like it with Peter and these others. We're like, well, I wouldn't do that. You know, I would, you know. And it's, it's a kind of comical. Jesus, well, why are you afraid? They're like, why are we afraid? Like, I, do you not have any idea what we've just gone through the last couple of days? And now, boom, you're standing right in front of me and right in front of my very eyes? This is kind of a lot for me to process right now. I just need a time out, you know. I need to sit down, take a few deep breaths. Okay, let me process and think this through. All right, you know, I need some time. And I think that's what he gives them. He's, he says, okay, I know you have these doubts. I know you're unsure as to the reality of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ standing in front of you. I know this is hard for you to process. I know this is a surprise. So come, touch me. See my hands. See my feet. Look it. Let me eat with you. I mean, this is an incredible story, a powerful story, and maybe you've been there, even in your own life, not necessarily an instance like this, but you, you know what it feels like when the room is spinning. You ever been there? Your life is just, it seems like everything's been turned upside down. You just, you, what you expected didn't happen. The way you were hoping it to work out didn't happen, and then you're trying to grapple with the reality of what you're experiencing and seeing in, with your very own eyes. And, and the room feels like it's spinning and you need to just pause and you need to be verified as to what you see and what you hope to be true. And so Jesus does it. He verifies the reality, the tangibility of this. He manifests himself in front of them all. And I think it's so important for us to consider the importance of these things that yes, we will die with Christ but we will rise with him. This is Romans 6, 5. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. A verse I've been thinking about in, in light with this passage this week is First uh, John 3, 2. I'll be sharing it later as well, I think, but First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. There is a reality of the present tense. Your identity with Christ is you are his child. You are his child now, he says. But what we will be has not yet appeared our glorified, transformed bodies when we, that resurrected state has not yet appeared, but will one day when we, he comes. And so it has not yet appeared, but we know, I know, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is, I think, what I'm drawing out of this passage and I found so helpful and, and encouraging to me is this, this, as I read, I see Jesus in his resurrected form, in his resurrected state, in his bodily yet spiritual state, I see him and yet what the Bible tells me is one day I will be like him. I will be like him in his heavenly body. My lowly body will be transformed to be like the man of heaven, as it says. Like him, like his. We are children of God now. That state and position will never change. But one day, we will be transformed. And so in the middle, yes, we still struggle with a variety of things. There is still, I know many of you are still going through so many of these things. I can see it on your faces as you struggle with the physical maladies of this earth and this world. Some of you are, 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 have cancer. You, you walk through these times of cancer and sickness and disease, the, the not yet kingdom, this aspect where we know God can work amazing miracles and he does praise him because he does, but we recognize that there, is, there comes a time when a man will die Right? There comes a time for us all, and yet in Christ, because we are his child, our death is not the end, it's just the beginning. 
we pass from life to life. And so this aspect of the already kingdom, that yes, already we are the kingdom of God. Right now we are within that kingdom, but we wait the eventual confirmation of the fullness of that kingdom to appear one day. And so we long and hope for his return for that time when he redeems all flesh and all creation will be renewed. We shall be like him in that moment. And so thank God that we are being renewed in the spirit of our minds even in this moment to be like him. Even right now we are being in that way. And so one day we'll see him as he is in the fullness of his bodily resurrection. He'll redeem our bodies as well to, be, to live and operate in that perfect whole state and so as we struggle with getting old and, and the hardships of life and, 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 and the, 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 the sicknesses and the disease and, and the skin knees and the children crying and the, the tears and the hardships of life that we experience, we know that one day in Revelation it talks about there will be a time where no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears and we know that that day is coming in the new creation that he will bring one day in the fullness of the kingdom of God that will be revealed when he returns and that's what we long for, that's what we hope for, that's a smile on our face to persevere even in the midst of these times of suffering that many of you are walking through and I feel myself walking with you through so many of these things. We know and we have a hope and we shall not lose hope in those things. And so it is when we read passages like this that we see and we believe and we trust and we hope in Jesus because his resurrection was tangible and your resurrection will be tangible as well. This resurrection that we hope. So he says, why do doubts arise, right? Doubts come into our hearts because we, we struggle to understand and believe these things. Jesus' body, we find, is not bound by the physical limitations of this earth, but he appears to be completely capable of interacting with the physical laws of this earth. And so it gives us hope for what our future resurrection bodies will be like and excites us to wonder, what will that be like? What will that day be like? Certainly not ghost-like or spirit-like, but very physical, very tangible, very flesh-like experiences like you have right now are most likely of what we see and what we read in the scripture to be what the new earth will be like one day. And so he assuages their doubts by affirming to them the reality of his resurrection and the reality of his bodily existence and the fact that it is truly Jesus, not something else, but it is Jesus, the one that they have known, the one that they have interacted before the cross. It's the same Jesus after the cross. And so he says, I'll prove it to you. Basically, you, you, you struggle to understand these things and doubt, and Jesus meets us in our doubts. He doesn't uh, cast aside our doubts. When you have questions about your faith and doubts about your faith, he doesn't just cast you aside and act like you are a fool, but rather entertains those and answers them with himself. Notice what he does in Luke 24 in this passage, verse 38, uh, and the, the couple verses there, he, he says a few things. He says, see, right? Look with your eyes. See me. And see my hands and my feet. Look at the holes, the nails that have been put into there. See for yourself, it is I, Jesus. And touch, feel my skin. You know, come, feel the warmth of my body. As Mary Magdalene, he, he actually holds and, and hugs Mary Magdalene earlier in the story. And then the physical nature of his being is present right there in front of him, just like I'm seeing you today. And then, then he hears, in a sense, you could say he sees and touch and the senses of hearing as well, for he has spoken and it is his voice. It is Jesus' voice that they recognize. Mary, earlier as well, recognized Jesus' voice. As soon as he said Mary, she recognized the rabbi's voice. Jesus' voice, it is the same voice. Uh, and then he says, in a sense, really, you could say taste and smell, for he asks them for some food. Why? 
I think, again, just to further uh, identify and further to confirm that he is a body, he is real, he is alive. He ate broiled fish, he had a meal with them. Earlier he had broken bread and his personality is there as well. He knew them, they knew him. There was a recognition of him. And you say, well, what's the big deal with this? Well, you think about it, this concept of, uh, is talked about it, this concept of continuity. Is that when you die, you don't just cease to exist and then exist again. There is a continuity that you are who you are now, but in Christ you are made new. But who you were before is not just somehow gone and erased, but rather only informs and better glorifies and beautifies the grace of God that has saved you from your past and then continues on into your future life as well. And so we long for that, that the Jordan today is also gonna be the Jordan in the future and the Jordan in heaven, that I will recognize you from my time on earth as we spend in heaven. There is this continuity of existence that is so important. You aren't reincarnated into some kind of new spirit being. You are a person that Jesus has created and made and you will continue, just like Jesus in the sense was the same, his voice was the same, he believed, but he was restored and he was remade and he was renewed. In a sense, I think a better way would be saying he was transformed, right? And I love the way that this is described in their reaction that they see this transformed Jesus standing before him. Yes, the same Jesus they knew before, but one completely transformed into his resurrected state. And, and so as they see him, they, I love this phrase because I think it's complicated in some way because I believe it accurately describes their emotions. Verse 41, and it says, and while they still disbelieved for joy. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's almost complicated, disbelieved for joy. Like, think about it like, um, you ever think something's almost too good to be true, okay? That is, like I can't even believe that, right? It's too good to be true, or something's been, the room has been spinning and then somebody gives you news and it changes everything that you thought was bad before all of a sudden now, and, and you're trying to process that. You're, you're in this state of disbelieving for joy. You're in this state, I, I can't believe, like I knew this was coming, I knew this was happening, but I just, like I gotta, whoa, I gotta process. I feel like the last time I really experienced that was when my first child, Charlie, was born and I almost fainted, right? Okay, I've told you that story before. But this, like I know this baby's coming, I know it's happening, but this has been a long process and then all of a sudden the nurses are ministering to me and not my wife who's just gone through labor and my baby. They're like, here, uh, Mr. Moody, why don't you take a seat and here's a warm cloth for your head because I almost fainted. But why? I was like disbelieving for joy. I wasn't mad. I was, I was just like, this is like, I can't, woo, head blown. This is incredible. I cannot imagine what has just taken place. This is amazing. This is a joyful experience, but I'm almost trying to believe, is this really real, you know? And I think they're in that same state of emotional uh, up and down, and, and they're trying to believe, but they are also overjoyed at what they are hearing, what they are seeing, what they are feeling, what Jesus has just tasted in front of them. Like, it's an amazingly powerful, real situation. And so what does this all mean? I've been kind of alluding to this as we've been talking, but I think this is important, something that I don't wanna just fluff off and move on to the end of the story. I, I want us to really sit for a moment with the reality and the importance of a bodily resurrection. Again, Jesus wasn't bound physically as he would interact, yet he could interact physically. 
They saw, they touched, they ate. You could look even with me at 1 John. 1 John 1 gives us an insight as to the importance of this. This 1 John is written to combat false teaching of Gnosticism, which really devalues the importance of body and the earth and, and only values the spiritual uh, ethereal existence. And so, First John is written to combat that, no, 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 this was real, this was physical. Your body is not completely evil, but rather God has come to save both your body and your soul. And it is important that Jesus rose physically and lived bodily. Look at this in First John 1, 1. This is First John 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, that which we have what? Heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have what? Touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, the manifestation of Jesus, and we have seen it, and we now testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have, again, he reiterates, that we have seen, that we have heard, and we proclaim also to you, that you too have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He reminds them of the reality of Jesus' resurrection, the physical nature of it, the tangible nature of it, the importance of God's work to redeem the world. And this is why we participate with one another physically. I I think a popular word would be in person, (laughs) you know? The the importance of us physically gathering in one way, shape, form, or another. I understand it's very variety today, but this aspect of the importance of you and me, person to person, one to one, body to body, physically in one way as we look into each other's eyes, you are part of the body of Christ We come before a table and we physically have and partake in communion. We eat bread together, we drink together. There is this physical participation in a spiritual reality. Do you get that? You know what I'm saying here? This isn't just like I sit on the stage and we meditate for a few things and we try to release ourselves from our body and escape into the spiritual reality. That is, that is so far from Christianity, I cannot, I cannot describe to you how far that is, and yet, I also warn you, because that's extremely popular today, that the more we escape the body and the world, the better and more spiritual we are. Rather, pushing in and pressing into the reality of what Jesus has come to do, to redeem us in ourselves, in our physical bodies, that we'll be remade one day. That is a wonderful hope. It's a beautiful hope. We also participate in a baptism where this spiritual yet, yet physical thing happens. It's an incredible mixture, uh, you would say, between the two. And, and it's this amazing, mysterious, I will say, a kind of mixture between both the physical and the spiritual. The duality of body and spirit, the connected in that they are inextricably linked and not separate. Randy Alcorn writes about this concept in his book on heaven that I found very helpful. He says, and I I would say this would have been accurate for me in some ways, he says, of Americans who believe in the resurrection of the dead, two-thirds believe that they won't have any bodies after the resurrection, he says. But this is self-contradictory. A non-physical resurrection is like a sunless sunrise. There's no such thing. 
Resurrection means we will have bodies. If we didn't have bodies, we wouldn't be resurrected. R.A. Torrey also writes, he says, we will not be disembodied spirits in the world to come, but redeemed spirits in redeemed bodies in a redeemed universe. Maybe you think this isn't all that important, but I find it so helpful when we grasp and understand the reality of what we just read and talking about today of how it informs our future. The implications of this truth is wide sweeping. If you were to look in the New, the New Testament and, and compare it to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament there's a word kind of related to that word ruach that I read earlier. The word is called nefesh. And, and maybe I've, I've talked about it before, but this word nefesh is a Hebrew word that gives us a little bit of an insight as to how we see our person. And I would dare say there's a lot of questions today in our culture today of how one views the person and who defines what the person is. But the Bible speaks of that God has created the person, the human being. Now what defines that being? What's truly important? Well, in, in Genesis 2, 7, it says that the Lord God formed man, right? Human beings, actually the word man is not just male, but this concept of human beings, out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into him the breath of life, right? The ruach, and man became a living being. Some of your translations will say soul. That word living being is this idea of nefesh, this body and soul together as one, not separate. And yet I think that's what makes death so hard. So it makes death so unnatural. For in a moment our spirit goes to be with God in the presence of the Lord as we await the one day reuniting of our body with him when he returns. And that's what makes this so unnatural, that's what makes murder and the taking and the hurting and the harming of one's body so wrong because God truly values both the body and the soul that is together there this dust and the spirit. The things that God said was very good, he says in Genesis, the spirit and the body was very good. And he came for both, not one or the other, but both. And Jesus demonstrates that, that when he appears before the disciples, he does not appear before them as a spirit, but as a body that has been transformed. Humanity is both this, the spirit joined with body, and this is so important as we talk about who we are that our body doesn't necessarily just house the real me, as we often will say, but rather it is as much part of who I am as my spirit is. They are connected and throughout church history the importance of this is seen. As I said, First John and others were written often to combat uh, the, the teaching that was being taught about Gnosticism or, or as uh, Randy Alcorn puts even this idea of Christoplatonism, uh, Platonism, this idea of, of matter in physical is evil and, and spiritual is good and we must escape the matter in order to achieve the gnosis and the knowledge of the knowing good. And so, so this concept I think really is at odds with the way the Christian faith has been laid out to us from the scripture and the way that God values our body, that our bodies are temples value them, care for them, take care of our bodies to be careful with this for our bodies are temples of the living Holy Ghost and we walk in that and, in, and one day, as Job says in Job 19, he says, one day my flesh, in the flesh I will see God. It's a pretty neat verse, John, I think it's Job 19, 26, he says, he says this, in the flesh I will see God, I, Job, will see, not someone else, but one day I will see him.
And so, so important. Uh, another writer, Anthony Hokema says, resurrected bodies are not intended just to float in space or to flit from cloud to cloud, or like we see with cupids, right, uh, that are up there into the air that we often view, or angels just with wings flying around in an eternal church service as we often view heaven. That is probably not the most accurate description of the way heaven and the way the new heaven and the new earth will be depicted in the scripture. But it says, they, they call for a new earth onto which to live and to work, glorifying God. The doctrine of the resurrection of the body, in fact, makes no sense whatever apart from the doctrine of the new earth and the new heaven that will be remade as we read about in Revelation and other places in First Peter I believe. And so resurrection carries on this continuity that Jesus says, I love this passage, Jesus says in verse uh, 39, see my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. It is I myself, it is me, Jesus, it is I myself. My identity will continue. And we even view from the Old Testament, races will continue, for it says in, in, in the world, in heaven, in the new heavens, it'll be all tribes, languages, and tongues, all nations will come together to worship God. Male and female will continue these, aspe- these aspects of the way God has designed and made and created our bodies. He is redeeming them to make them whole without sin. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three: for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. It is this perishable, mortal body that puts on imperishable and immortal. Likewise, we, the very people who walk on this earth, will walk on the new earth. And so we will be, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we will forever be with the Lord. And this is so important. I I hope you find this encouraging and not just some kind of mental exercise because I find it very encouraging. Maybe it's just because as a pastor, I experience death a lot maybe more than maybe just a typical kind of position or, or job. I feel often very connected with those of you who are going through hardships right now who have lost or feel as if you're losing even a loved one even right before your very eyes. And I experienced great loss last year and as I've been thinking about heaven, thinking about the future and thinking about, you know, speaking to my loved ones one day again, that one day I will face to face, yes, see my Savior face to face, but I will one day see my loved ones face to face that have gone to be with him as well. And that just gives us hope, does it not? It gives us a reminder that there is a loving God who desires to reunite you with your relationships that you have in those places again. I I just think it's so important for us not to miss that hope, to know that it's biblical to hope for that one day future resurrection where we see the ones we love face to face. And yes, we marvel and we wonder and we think about those, and I don't have all the answers, but for those, those, those babies that we've lost, those miscarriages that we've had, those people that have been taken from us too soon, those loved ones that we wish we had just a few more days with, those times that we wish we had, we know we feel as if we've lost. One day we know that we will gain because we will be with them. And that is the hope of our continuity, that together we are together now, and one day we will be together forever with the Lord, but with one another. And so the Bible says forgive one another because Christ forgave you, because you're gonna spend a lot of time with each other, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Okay. Some of you are looking around right now. <laughs> okay. right? That, but that's a beauty of it, that we, 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 what we experience and do today has meaning, has eternal weight. It's not just empty or trite or throw it in the trash, but rather that God's gonna redeem. He's gonna burn away the dross and the chaff and the sin, and he's gonna restore the new, and, and he's gonna redeem it. 
Luke 24, I think, gives us a a model for our future resurrection. And it it gives us an insight, as well as other passages. Philippians 3.20 says, Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. First, First John 3, 2, I read it earlier. We are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. First Corinthians 15, 49. And just like we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. This is the beauty of the tangibility of the resurrection that gives us hope for our tangible one day future eventual resurrection. And then these last couple of points, don't worry, I'm not gonna spend nearly as much time on any of those as I did the first one. The the last couple of points is this aspect that we see in the closing verses, that the fulfillment of the resurrection. That Jesus says, I've come here on purpose. I, I have come here with a plan. This is to fulfill what the scriptures have said. You can look at verse 44, that I've come to fulfill all that has been written about me. And he gives a threefold description of the prophets of the Old Testament. He says, I've come to fulfill the law of Moses, uh, the, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is kind of a way of thinking about the Hebrew scriptures of the Torah and the Ketuvah, the writings, and, and the Nevi'im, the poetry. The three kinds of way that a Hebrew describes and breaks up the Old Testament, he describes it right there. Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. The, whole t- the totality of the Old Testament has been written to present me as the Messiah, to drive that red thread throughout the scriptures leading us to the cross. It is about me and I am here to fulfill all of these things. And so then, he doesn't just explain, explain it, but rather he opens up their mind to understand the scriptures. And I love that phrase. And maybe you find that encouraging as well, that you've maybe had a time in your life where the scriptures to you were confusing. And maybe they still feel confusing because I'll be there right with you. There's many a times during the week that I fully don't grasp and understand what in the world I'm gonna say again on another Sunday. And yet God is faithful as you press your nose into this and as you try to understand and read or listen to the scripture and and as you study, as you get in community and you try to figure out what this means, there is a moment that I believe the Holy Spirit illuminates and helps you just like Jesus did here, but now that we have the Holy Spirit with us, the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, illuminates, illuminates, turns on the lights. Ever had that in a dark room and the lights are turned on and now you see, this is what we see when we have the scripture in front of us and there was a time in your life you looked at the scripture and you thought this was all a joke. You thought this was the most ridiculous exercise and the biggest waste of time that you could ever imagine. Gathering on a Sunday and opening up the scripture together, who can think of a bigger waste of time and then all of a sudden your life has changed because there's some reason you're here today And some reason you're here today, some reason that you keep being drawn back to this book and you feel like you can't get away from it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is working in your life to open up your eyes to see the truth of who God really is. Not just understand a book for a knowledgeable mental exercise, but to understand the scriptures because through it, we get to see God. And you get to know God. Have a relationship with him. And then it is through that understanding and knowing that you don't keep to yourself, but rather you in like, in in the same way, you follow what Jesus has said in Luke 24, that you begin, as your mind is open to understand the scriptures, you internalize this truth, you then go to tell other people about it. You, you tell other people about it. You wanna share these truths. And you're like, well, I don't understand everything. Well, so what? Neither did they. They didn't understand everything either. But they were 
called to spread this message that Christ would suffer on the third day and then he would rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in, in his name to all nations beginning here in Jerusalem. You're my witnesses of these things. You too are witnesses of these things when you open up the scripture and find out who Jesus is. Now go from here and share it with others also all around the world. Start here in your own Jerusalem. Then find different places you can be a witness. You too can be a missionary wherever you are, whether you find yourself in Nicaragua or whether you find yourself in Jaffrey. You go from here and you go with a mission, with a reason to proclaim that you have been forgiven. You too, people, you too can be forgiven and you wanna share that with others. And then you do it, not alone. You don't do it alone. Because here in this passage, there's a power of the resurrection that's also with you. Jesus has risen from the dead and he doesn't say, see you later <laughs> and have fun. You know, you guys work it out on your own. <laughs> I'll be back sometime, you know. He leaves and then he says actually in John 16, he says that it's better that I leave so that the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit can be with you. He says it's actually better that I bodily, physically leave because now my Holy Spirit can spiritually be with all of your bodies. A lot better than Jesus being physically traveling here to there, but rather that Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit, empowering his church and gifting his church with miracles and powers and, and gifts to work and work the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build the church of God through his spirit. So he says it's actually better that I leave so the spirit comes and then I can plant the church in Acts chapter two and from there, even till now, 2,000 years later, the church has grown. The kingdom of God has spread through all nations. This is the beauty of the power of the resurrection that you walk in today. Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power. And when I share that with my kids, they love that as well. Like, we were talking about that, right, Char, with the receive power? Well, because they like to play powers at home. It's a game they play. They pretend they're Elsa and Anna, and they freeze people with frozen powers, okay? Some of you who have kids, you know that, right? The powers, and they're like, do we have power? My daughter actually said that. Do I have power? When the Holy Spirit lives within us, the Bible says we have power, and yet, yeah, we have to define what that means, but there is a true supernatural spiritual power that Jesus sends. He says, you will be clothed with power from on high. You're not alone. It's not by yourself. You're not been given this message or this goal or this mission that's impossible to accomplish. An impossible task. Well, apart from, uh, apart from Christ and within you by yourself, it is an impossible mission. But with one another and with Christ, and most importantly, being clothed with the spirit of power, the Holy Spirit, this is a task that we're all called to accomplish. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I, I, I find joy in being able to participate with all of you in the diverse giftings and the varied grace of God as he gives varied gifts among his church. It is an amazing, beautiful, mysterious kind of journey that we're all on together as we work together in this to spread the kingdom of God to all nations. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We, we praise you, God, even for this time that we spend in your word. As we've opened up your scriptures and we've dove into some really even complicated things. Yet, God, I'm thankful that you are not complicated. You make things clear through your spirit. You open our minds to understand things maybe we didn't understand before. And God, I pray that even in those times when we feel as if emotionally we're in a hard place, we're struggling with this or with that, God, I pray that you would speak to us in those places. You would meet us where we're at. You would remind us that you are alive. 
And Father, pray, I pray that today would be a day where we come together and we remind ourselves of what we're here for, the mission that we're on. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you, for God, for these people. Every single one in here, thank you, God, for this worship team. Thank you, God, for the people serving uh, the kids in, in the kids' ministry, God, who are just seeking simply to lift up the name of Jesus and to point other people, even the children among us, to Jesus. We're all here doing that same thing. So give us that desire and that heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.